and I'm and I'm also going to put it live on Facebook if you don't mind. If you object, just let me know. But Omar, we can't even see you anyway. So um, uh, so first of all, Omer, just before we do start, asking, Rosh Hashanah is coming up on Monday night. Tell me what you're doing for Rosh Hashanah and what do you what do you like and what don't you like about Rosh Hashanah? Well, there's nothing there's nothing that I don't like about Rosh Hashanah. I think it's a great holiday. Um, and this year, I think we're doing something small um, at my parents' house in um, in the suburbs of Chicago. Oh, excellent. Okay, now, so you love everything about it. Is there anything in particular that you do love? I love... I, I love the family aspect of it. Um, just sitting around the table with family and obviously the food. Okay. Or everybody will agree to. Uh, do you have, you know, there's a custom to have a new fruit every, uh, at the beginning of the year. Uh, there's actually a lot of simanim that we have to give blessings, but do you, mm -hmm. do you do that around your table? You talk about food. Do you have, these, uh, like, besides dipping the apple in the honey, there's a custom to have dates and to have, you know, uh, leeks and uh, the head of a fish. Do you do that as well? No, I think we've usually uh, stuck to just the apples and the honey. Okay. Now, Omer, that's a Hebrew name. Are you actually Israeli? I'm trying to remember. Uh, yeah, I am Israeli. So, and your parents are both, both born, you were born in Israel? Um, I was born in Israel, yes. Okay. And your parents now live in? And my, my parents now live in uh, suburban Chicago. Right. Okay. So, Omer, I'm going to ask you a question. So, just remind you were born in Israel. How old were you when you came over here? I was nine years old. Okay. So, so I'm going to ask you a question. I'm not sure if you've ever heard this question before. Uh, but if you haven't heard it, you're going to wonder why you haven't heard it before. And then I'm, and then I'm going to ask a second question, uh, which is what is mo most of what I'm going to be talking about is. So, Debbie, I'm also not sure if you've heard this question. No, you just, I just mentioned we dip apple in honey. Now, where does honey come from? Honey comes from a bee. Now, bees are not kosher. Did you know that? You can't eat bees. You're not allowed to eat anything that's like swarming insects, like caterpillars and cicadas and things like that you are not allowed to eat. And when you don't eat them, you get reward for it. God is very happy for you when you do not eat bees and insects. So my question to you is, how are we allowed to eat honey? There is just the same way you can't we can't eat a camel. We can't eat a pig. You can't eat anything that comes out of an, a camel or a pig. So how is it that we are allowed to eat honey on the first day of the year on Rosh Hashanah? And we, and we have honey all the time. Does anybody have an answer for me why we are allowed to eat honey? Why is honey kosher? I don't know. That's a good question. Omer, have you ever heard that question before? I've never heard that question before. Um, 
Is it a good question? It is a very good question. I okay. would agree. It, it's a very good question. Okay. So what I feel like doing is I, I feel like saying, you know what? Um, I'm going to let you sleep on it and uh, I'll tell you the answer tomorrow. But the only thing is I don't want you to have a sleepless night. I don't want you to you know, be tossing and turning all night, like wondering why is it that honey is kosher? And I know Lou's about to look it up and find out, you know, that's, <laughs> no. that's the, that is the problem with having Zoom classes is that you never know what your students are doing. Even though they're looking at you, you can't see their hands and whether they're typing. But Lou, I don't want you to look at, right, I don't want you to look at the answer yet. Um, but what I want to, I'll, I'll give you the answer. But I, Omer, I want you to ask this question at the, at the not say the table, at the Rosh Hashanah table, as they're passing out the apples and honey, I want you to say, hold on a second, everyone. Just before we start, I've got a question for you. How come we are allowed to dip apple in honey? Honey's, honey's not kosher. It comes from a bee, and bees are not kosher. And everyone's going to like stop for a second, and they're going to say, you know, you're right. But it's got a symbol on it that says OU, and it says that the – so it's a question that actually is in the Talmud, but it's just a fascinating question. You know, Judaism is not afraid of questions. We encourage questions. In fact, that's a lot of what I uh, encourage uh, our students to do is to ask questions. That's why I like this class because we always have, have questions. But the answer is this. The, that honey does not come from a bee. I'm sorry to tell you that. It goes through a bee, but it doesn't come from the bee itself. So the bee, I don't exactly know the exact physiology and the botany and everything, but the way that, right, the way that the way that the Talmud describes it is that the pollen gets ingested into the bee, goes through the bee's body and comes out as honey, but there is nothing that the bee contributes to the honey itself. Now, it happens to be that I once met an expert in bees down at the University of uh, Illinois in Champaign, who was from Israel, and uh, I didn't ask him this question, but he was like a real expert in bees. I think they've got like a whole department in Champaign. And, you know, this is a big deal these days because there's, there's all kinds of challenges and threats to bees. I think even in Turkey, where they just had these big f uh, forest fires, they were they one of the biggest bee produ honey producing countries. I think a lot of the hives were destroyed but now you know now you know why you're allowed to have honey you can you can relax you can dip your apple in honey knowing that it's 100 kosher but it's a good question okay that's the that's like the appetizer here's the second question that debbie's not going to have time to hear the answer to but you'll get the recording and this is a much more fundamental question and omar i hope i'm not going to uh like make you a little bit more nervous about rosh hashanah um, uh, you, hey, he, was a, he was a paratrooper in the Israeli army, so uh -huh. nothing scares him. Nothing scares you. Yeah, plus one. I think that's right. Um, well, good for you. Um, so here's the question. Rosh Hashanah has a name. It's called Yom Hadin. Din means judgment. 
It's called the day of judgment. And, you know, in Judaism, we don't, you know, just arbitrarily give names and, and, and sort of make things up. We believe, this is recorded in the Talmud, that every person gets judged on Rosh Hashanah. So what does that mean, they get judged? So you imagine that you're going uh, to a court case and you're, and, the, and you're on trial for your life. If you are convicted, not you, if someone go, everyone, someone is convicted, they will die. And if they are not convicted, they will live. That is what is happening every single year when we go, when we go into Rosh Hashanah. And the people that were in Moron, that died in the tragedy in Moron, in Surfside, that young yeshiva boy that I spoke to two weeks ago, lost Rosh Hashanah. They went into Rosh Hashanah. There was a day of judgment. And the judgment that came out was that they were not going to be at this Rosh Hashanah. That is what we believe. So uh, it's all very well and nice, Omer, that you're going to be with your family and you're going to have nice food and dip apple and honey. And it's very, very nice. Um, but if you knew that you were going into a court case that was going to determine whether you were going to live or die, I guess, I'm guessing that you would be a little bit nervous. Um, now, let me ask, before I ask Omer what he thinks, Lou and Marty, do you feel a little bit nervous going into Rosh Hashanah at all? No. I'm always nervous. You're always <laughs> nervous. Okay, good. But are you especially nervous because you're going on trial on Monday night? Oh, um, I, I don't know. Not really. You know, now you're making me nervous. Okay. Right. Uh, good. I want to make you nervous. I'm nervous. Omer, are you, are you, have you ever heard of this concept that your Hashanah is a day of judgment? I haven't. Can you repeat what you said about um, the Marone tragedy and the Surfside tragedy? Right. So what I'm saying is that every year, everybody gets judged on Rosh Hashanah, whether they are going to live or die this next year. That means last Rosh Hashanah, last year at Rosh Hashanah, those people who lost their lives in Moron and in Surfside, they were judged and the, and the sentence that came down to them was that they were not going to survive and they were not going to be on this Rosh Hashanah. That was the judgment that was handed down to them. Is there, now, a, reason, is there a reasoning behind that? Is there reasoning behind what? Why these people in particular or why we have a day of judgment? Why these people in particular were judged not to celebrate or not to make it to the next Rosh Hashanah. Right. So it's a, that's a fantastic question. I'm not a prophet. We don't have prophets today. So nobody knows why people live and why people die today. We don't know. Um, uh, so I can't tell you why those particular people uh, were judged that they should live or they should die. What I can tell you is uh, one, one answer could be that they had fulfilled their mission in life. They were given a mission in this world to accomplish. 
and they had finished that job. That, that job that they had been brought into this world to do was now complete. And now they were going to return to where they came from. How it came about that, that it had to be, and you saw story, you heard stories both in Moron and in Surfside and in other places where um, somebody flew in to Florida to go visit someone at the condo and just got there that night and the, and the uh, building collapsed. Or you heard of people that were in the building and were called out and, was, and were, you know, did not spend the night in the building and they survived. And that happened in Moron as well. But we, what I want to focus more on is the concept of, of, of judgment and not speak so much about Surfside and Moron in particular. But I hope I answered your question, Omer. I'm not evading the answer. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not explaining to you why these particular people died or why they died in this particular way. And I'm not telling that this was the reason why they died. All I'm saying is that we believe that on Rosh Hashanah, we have, we have, we have, if you read the prayers, I don't know if you go to synagogue at all, there's a famous, famous prayer called Unatana Tokev, Unatana Tokev, it's sung to this very haunting melody, and there are people this year in Shul that are going to be crying their eyes out when that comes this year, because almost everybody knows someone who knows someone who was either in Moron or in Surfside. And it's going to say on Rosh Hashanah, it's decided. Now, here's my question for you. This is a question I asked last week. And I want to try and make it practical. You know, Omer, this class, we try and make it a little bit practical. So uh, you can take something with you into your next week. And then hopefully, if, uh, if it's meaningful for you, you'll come back again. So here's the question. Take a typical court case. If a person is on trial for their life, they've been convicted of something. So you have a procedure. There's a process. You have a defense and you have an, um, uh, the prosecutors, the defense and the prosecutors. So once the prosecutors have made their case, then the defense has got an opportunity to defend themselves. And to say, well, this is the reason why I did this or why uh, this thing happened. And typically what, what will happen is not that the person will deny that they did it, but they will argue that they shouldn't be convicted, that there's some mitigating factor, some reason why they should not be convicted. Or if they know they're going to be convicted, but they shouldn't get such a harsh sentence. You know, I grew up in a very difficult neighborhood and everybody around me, you know, uh, were violent and thieves. And this is the way I grew up and I worked hard and I tried my best. And, you know, uh, it was the environment that I was in that uh, caused me to do it. So the judge might say, you know what, that's a, that's a, a reasonable defense. I'm not going to sentence you to, you know, a maximum security prison for 50 years. I'm going to put you in a minimum security prison for a year. Okay. And then that's the judgment. And that's the, that person maybe can appeal. Uh, but that's what happens on a trial. 
Now, we know that there's a, another very important day coming after Rosh Hashanah, about a week later, called Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is called the Day of Atonement. So what do we do on Yom Kippur? Basically, we atone. We, we go through the list of everything we did wrong this past year, and we say we're sorry. Uh, now, just as an aside, just as an aside, most of the things that we confess to are not things that we did against God. They're things that we did against our fellow human beings. And most of them are in the realm of things that we said. We embarrassed people. We cheated people. We lied to them. So you can't ask God for forgiveness until you've asked the person that you wronged for forgiveness. Now, that's another whole discussion. Now, hopefully, we'll have a chance to talk about that some more if we have time at the end. But I just, I, what, what Yom Kippur basically is, <coughs> is an opportunity to go in front of God and say, you know what, I'm not perfect. No one's perfect. I did some very good things. You know, I took care of certain people. <clears throat> I uh, employed certain people. I, I was good to my parents. I gave charity. I helped uh, my fellow Jew. I even, you know, worked for a Jewish organization. I did good things, but I slipped up sometimes and I did some things bad and I'm going to improve. I'm going to, I'm not going to do them again next year. And I apologize. I feel really bad that I did them because I, I know that I hurt people. So we spend the entire day and we say 10 times, 10 confessions over 24 hours, begging God for forgiveness. Okay, you're all familiar with this. This is not something new. But here's my question, and I asked it last week, and, and Lou and Marty, they've been thinking about it the whole week, and they they hopefully are going to have an answer for you, Omer, unless you've got one for me. The question is this. Yom Kippur should come before Rosh Hashanah. Like I said, Rosh Hashanah is the day of judgment. That's when the sentence is passed. Yom Kippur is the day that you offer your defense. When you go in front of a judge, you don't wait until he gives you the judgment and then you ask for leniency. You ask for leniency before you get the judgment. Isn't that correct? So my question is, I'll, get, I'll let uh, Lou, Lou has to leave soon, but I'll let Lou and Marty answer first. And Omer, you'll see how what I mean when I say they're heavyweights. They've been, you know, <laughs> learning Torah for more than a year now. And so, Lou, and let's start with either of you. Do any of you have an answer why it is that Yom Kippur comes after Rosh Hashanah? It makes much more sense to have Yom Kippur before Rosh Hashanah. Go ahead, Lou. <laughs> I, I, I don't have a good answer. My, my thinking is this. Um, I think that there's an assumption by all of us, or there should be, that we're guilty anyways. And so it's not a matter of putting up a defense. It's a matter of your atonement and your sincerity and, um, um, and, and the mitzvot that you've done. And so um, 
I, I think that um, that's why they're in what would otherwise seem to be reverse order. You're really not putting up a defense. You're putting up, um, you're, you're, you're copying to the plea, as it were. Aha. Uh -huh. Okay. So that I like that answer. D Marty, do you have an answer? Or, you know, Omer? that was exactly what I was going to say. Uh -huh. Got it. Got it. Okay. Omer, first of all, I want to ask you a question. Omer, have you ever heard that question before? No, I, no, I, I haven't. Okay, can I ask you, how old are you, Omer? I'm 27. Okay, so I don't blame you. You're only 27. So maybe <laughs> uh, maybe you'll hear that question sometime. But what do you think? Of the, do you like the question or you don't like the question? Yeah. Um, so I'm thinking about it right like? now. And my initial response would be that if Russia, if we make it past Russia, Shana, right, that means there was some, there was, there was some type of judgment. Okay. Um, and we were chosen. I don't know if chosen is the right word. Okay. But we, but we were chosen to survive, right? We made it another year. We were judged and, and it was decided that we get to, to live another year. Um, and because we recognize that, we spend the week from after Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur thinking about why that decision was made, right? Both the positives and the negatives. And then we atone on the negatives. We think, okay, we did X, Y, and Z that was positive, and that's why we're still here. But at the same time, we did X, Y, and Z that was negative, and, that's, and those are the things that we need to atone on. And so we have that week to we have that week to think about it. Omer, and then is, we are then we are sealed in the book of life on Yom Kippur. Well, you know, the rabbis actually say that you've got until Hoshana Rabbah, which is when the verdict is actually sent to the to be uh, recorded. And some people say you've even got until Hanukkah uh, to repent. But Omer, that is a brilliant answer. I, uh, I'm very, very impressed. Do you have any rabbis in your family or in your background? Uh, where, Paul Mary, you saw that? Rabbi, we can't hear you. You're on mute. Okay. Sorry about that. My computer just... Um, it just went off for some reason. That's what happens. Okay, wait, Omer, are you still there? Yes, I am, Rabbi. Okay, so I, I, I don't know if you heard this. Are there any rabbis in your in your family going back generations? Not that I know of. Because that was a that was a very very good answer. I like that answer a lot. So I'm going to give you another answer that's I think fairly similar to what you just said. I'm just going to repeat what you said that. If you make it through Rosh Hashanah, there is a judgment. Then you spend that next week thinking about it, thinking about the good things, thinking about the negative things. And when Yom Kippur comes along, when Yom Kippur comes along, then you can atone for the negative things. So I want you to keep that, that thought in mind. And I'm going to tell you what I learned from my teachers. And I'm going to use an analogy, which I think is helpful to teach the lesson. So the, the, answer, the, the, the answer begins like this. Why is it that we do anything wrong in the first place? 
Now, I'm not asking you personally, Marty or Mona or Lou or Omer, I'm not asking any of you to tell me why you do anything bad. Um, but I'm going to give you the answer and I want you to think about it. Whether you, whether you believe in God or not, um, you can think about it this way. But Judaism believes that God is the center of the world. He created us. He's the one that runs the world. He gives us everything. And he's given us certain uh, directives on how to live a meaningful life. The only reason why we would do anything wrong is because we put ourselves in the center of the world and we don't put God in the center of the world. So I'll give you a perfect example. I'll give you a perfect example. If you come to the supermarket and you're in a hurry and you get to the line and uh, there's only, let's say, one checkout cashier and there's five people in front of you. Now, if you are the center of the universe, then what you do is as follows. You walk straight to the front of the line and you say, excuse me. And you might not use it exactly in these words, but you might say something, you know, like I, I, uh, I really need to be in the front of the line. I've got a very important meeting. I've got something that's much more important than anything that any of you are doing. And so I need to be in the front of this line. Uh, and we'll do that with lots of other things as well. I'm going to let you think about it. You're all thinking people. The reason why a person is impatient, a reason why a person gets angry at someone else, a reason why someone steals from someone else is because they feel that they are the most important person and everyone else is subservient in some way to them. Now, again, when I say this, I'm talking to myself as well. You know, when I think about the things that I didn't do well and I didn't treat the people that I'm close to well, I think to myself, why did I do those things? What was I thinking? And normally what it is is because I was thinking of myself. I wasn't thinking of the other person. So there's no amount of, of uh, repentance or self introspection that's going to take place as long as you think you're the center of the universe. So what we do on Rosh Hashanah is one thing and one thing only, and that is we put God back in the center of the world. That's what we do, and that's why we don't ask God for forgiveness on Rosh Hashanah. We don't ask him for anything. All we do is we blow the shofar and we proclaim him as the king and we just basically spent two days putting him back in the center of the world once we do that once we then we start thinking to ourselves oi now that god's in the center of the world now i feel really bad about all these things that i did that i was impatient that i embarrassed someone that i stole something you know, that I wasn't sensitive to other people because I did not put God in the center of the world. I put myself in the center of the world. So then, like Omer says, now you've got a whole week to reflect on that. And by the time you come to your, you, I mean, the other question I could ask you is, why do we have Yom Kippur seven days after Rosh Hashanah? Why don't we just have it right away? We're going to eat so much. Omer was talking about the food. I am sure Omer 
that you would have no problem fasting the day after Rosh Hashanah, after you've eaten your mother's delicious food. Am I right? Yeah. So, in fact, it turns out there is a fast day the day after Rosh Hashanah. It's called Tzom Gedalia, but that's a, it's a rabbinic fast. But the, the Torah fast on Yom Kippur comes a whole week later. And the answer is because we need a whole week. We need a week to like internalize this idea, think about the things we need to improve, and then we have a whole day to feel bad about them. And then hopefully we'll spend the next year becoming a little bit better people. All right, Marty's got a question. Wait, you're on mute, Marty. Does it have anything to do that it took God seven days to create the uh, the universe and all that, the earth and all that? Um, does it? Well, really, the whole period of time it is it is based on an event that happened in the Torah, which I'll. It's a very good question. Uh, there are. There's 10 days. There's two days of Rosh Hashanah, seven days called uh, part of the Aseris Yomay Tshuva, 10 days of Tshuva, and then there's Yom Kippur afterwards. But uh, Yom Kippur, why do we celebrate it on the 10th of Tishrei? Because that was the day that God forgave the Jewish people after the sin of the golden calf. God, remember, Moses went up for 40 days. He came down and they worshiped the golden calf. Right. And um, and then he was told to come back up again. He went back up again for another 40 days. And at the end of the 40 days, God forgave the Jewish people. That day was Yom Kippur. So that's the reason why we have Yom Kippur the day that we have it. Just by the way, since you're asking, uh, Rosh Hashanah itself, if I don't ask you, this year, we're going into year 5,782. What happened exactly 5,782 years ago? Next Monday night. Does anybody know? What, what exactly happened? For, you said it took seven days to create the world. What happened 5,782? Does anybody know? The current world was created. Okay, the world was created. Is that your final answer, Marty? That's my, can I call a friend? <laughs> yeah, okay, we're going to ask, we're going to ask Mona or Omer. I'm going to ask you both. What happened on Rosh Hashanah 5,782 years ago? Does anyone know? Wait, Mona, you're, you're gonna, you have to unmute. Mona, what do you say? I totally wish I had something intelligent to say, but I don't have any clue. <laughs> well, that's a good answer. When you don't have anything to say, then you don't. don't. Omer, what do you say? Do you have an answer or do you, you're going to also plead the fifth like Mona? I don't know, Rabbi. Okay. So now I just want to, I want to tell you that, uh, Omer, we don't know each other so well, but I did not grow up Orthodox. I grew up reform in South Africa, had a traditional Jewish upbringing. You know, I played rugby in the Maccabee games that sort of changed my trajectory in life. And uh, what I do now is I teach students and students can be any age, but I spend most of my time with college students um, and young professionals. I teach them answers to these kinds of questions because it seems to me that 
for a very intelligent people that have won more Nobel Prizes per capita than any other nation, and we've achieved so much in the world, that we are woefully uneducated about our own heritage. When, when if I go down to Champagne and bring 100 students into the room and I were to ask them, what happened 5,782 years ago on Rosh Hashanah? My guess is most people will not know the answer to the question. And that's, uh, they'll know, if I had to ask them, you know, who, who are, can you name me, you know, five players in the Chicago Bears team, you know, or in the White Sox or the Cubs, they'll be able to tell me. But I've got to ask them, name me, you know, five Jewish holidays. I don't know if they would be able to come up with them. So here's the answer. The answer is not that the world was created on Rosh Hashanah. The world was not created on Rosh Hashanah. What was created on Rosh Hashanah? Man was created on Rosh Hashanah. The sixth day of creation was Rosh Hashanah. Now, we're not going to get into discussion about how old the world is. Is it billions of years old? Is it 5,782 years old? That's another whole series of classes. But we believe that man was created 5,782 years ago. So that's another good question, Omer, to ask. You've got a, a few things you can ask at your Rosh Hashanah table this year. Um, you can ask them what happened 5,782 years ago, and the answer is man was created. So what that means is we don't believe that we celebrate, we're just having a birthday party for Adam. What we are doing is we are tapping into a spiritual energy called creation we are able to tap into this spiritual force called creation on Rosh Hashanah. And you can recreate yourself. You can create yourself your best, best person you can be. One of the things you do on Rosh Hashanah is you think to yourself, if God is the center of the world, and I, along with everyone else on this planet, is not in the center of the world, how can I be the best person that I can be? And and that's what you're doing on Rosh Hashanah. So whether you go to synagogue or not, I'm asking all of you at some point in time to, um, to think about this idea about what's the best person you can be and committing yourself and saying, I'm going to do my best to, to achieve that. And then you'll have a week to, um, to then think about what's, what are the obstacles in achieving that. So, the 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 way that the way that I would describe it as an analogy, and then I'll I'll finish with this, and then we'll we will I'll take some questions. Is if you're trying to demolish a building and and rebuild it, so you don't take a little hammer and start at the top of the building and knock one brick off at a time. What you do is you put dynamite into the building, you blow up the whole building, it falls, and then you bring trucks to take away uh, everything that's on the ground. And if there's some big piece, you'll break it into smaller pieces. And that's the way you'll, you'll clear away everything that's there. And then you'll rebuild the building. So that's what we do on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. On Rosh Hashanah, we've built a building. God gave us a year of life last year, 
And he said, okay, I want you to build a building for me. And we come to the end of the year. We look at this building. It doesn't look exactly like we said we were going to build it. So we say to God, I want to build another building for you. So we have to knock the old building down. And that's what we do on Rosh Hashanah. How do we knock the building down? We blow the shofar. The shofar is like dynamite. It's blowing up all the misconceptions and all the, the things that we did that we really didn't want to do. And we do that by these blasts of the shofar and spending two days like dynamiting that building. Then we spend the next week and Yom Kippur looking at all those little pieces of, you know, of that building that are broken. And we take a little bit of a closer look at them. And one of them might be that we were impatient. And one of them might be that we were stingy. And one of them might be that we had a short temper you know, or anything else. And that's what we, that's what we do. So by the end of the week, we've cleared away that building. And then we spend the rest of the year, hopefully building a beautiful building, you know, that we can be proud of. So um, that's what I wanted to tell you. There's lots more to talk about. Uh, and Omer, I hope I have not ruined your appetite for Monday night, because I don't want you to go in, on Rosh Hashanah being too nervous now about Day of Judgment, I, Rosh Hashanah is a day of celebration. And that's why we do have a big meal, because we believe that God is merciful and he loves us, and he's going to give us another year of life, and we're optimistic, because deep down we are good people. Um, so you should enjoy your whoever's cooking, and uh, but you should you should also you know take it take the day. You know, seriously as well. You should. Use, it's an opportunity that we sh we only get once a year. We shouldn't we shouldn't um, misuse the opportunity. All right, I'm going to let. Even though I would let Mona uh, first tell me your thoughts, but Omer, uh, without committing, would you say that this class was interesting enough that you would consider coming back again? Yeah, definitely, and. Um... And I'm, I'm going into this Rosh Hashanah with even uh, more meaning, which is, which is cool. Yeah. Well, I hope you, should, you know what, you're going to meet people that I don't know. So I'm giving you rabbi status that you can tell over what I just said to anybody that's at your table that's willing to listen to you. <laughs> Sounds like a deal. Okay. And uh, what I um, also want to say uh, is that since next Wednesday is Rosh Hashanah itself, we will not be having a class next Wednesday. Uh, I could possibly do one on, on Thursday, so I'll send a message. The following Wednesday is just before Yom Kippur, so it's unlikely I'll have a class on the Wednesday, so maybe we'll do one on the Monday or the Tuesday. <clears throat> the following week and the week after that is Sukkot, so we probably won't have classes then either because then our kids are in town and there's lots going on. So I want to wish you all a Shana Tova. Uh, we say Kasiba that you should have a good writing and a good ceiling in the book of life. And you should be grateful for all the gifts that you have and take advantage of the gift of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And whenever we do have a class again, I hope you'll join us. And Omer, now you have... Um, you, 
you the torch has been passed on to you that uh, if there's anyone else that you know that you think, and not everybody is, in, is interested in taking off an hour on a Wednesday afternoon, but if you know anyone else that might be interested, you can certainly invite them. Um, and what I'll ask uh, you to do or, or Marty can do is to send me your contact information. I'll put you on our, our, our list, our text list, so that you'll know when the next class is. Okay, perfect. And uh, thank you for uh, thank thank you to Marty for inviting me, and uh, thank you, Rabbi, for for having me today. It's a it's an absolute pleasure. And you know what I will tell you. Last thing is, there's lots to pray for because not only are we judged whether we're going to live or die, but all the money that you're going to raise this year is going to be decided on Rosh Hashanah. That so you you have to do the work. You still have to make all the calls and make the meetings, but how much you're going to how wealthy you're going to be, how much money you're going to raise, all going to be decided on Rosh Hashanah. So there's lots, you're, there's lots to pray for. Uh, Marty or Mona, any comments before we, we wrap it up? No, I just want to thank you so much for every, all the information you've given us. And it certainly uh, makes it more, makes me more confident when I sit at my the table with my children and uh, listen to my dear son-in-law give the bar totals and at least I have an inkling of what there's better going on. All right, wonderful. Well, I think you should ask the question. You, we started off asking why is honey kosher if bees are not kosher? You can ask that at the table and see how many of your children <laughs> or grandchildren know the answer. Um, please uh, wish Mark also Shanat Tuvai if I don't get a chance to, to call him. And Marty, what about you? Any, any last thoughts? No, not, you know, I'm, I usually have a lot to say about a lot of things, but uh, not really, you know. Well, I hope I've given you something to think about. And thank you again for inviting Omer. And I will be in touch and let you know when the next one is. And thank you for your time. And I wish you again, very, very. I, I had I had to take a call. So we're not doing this yes. next uh, Wednesday. Well, next Wednesday. Wednesday's, next Wednesday is Rosh Hashanah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. And the following Wednesday is just before Yom Kippur. So I'm going to let you know when the next class is. It, it might be the first week in October. Okay. I'll let you know. But I'll let you know. I'm going to try to do at least one more because we've got lots more to talk about. We've got to talk all about Sukkot and what that means. But we'll, we'll, I'll let you know. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Take care, everyone. Thanks again for your time. Omer, thanks for coming. Thank you for having me, Marty. And thank you, Rabbi, again. And uh, Shana Tova. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye. Yeah, Happy New Year to everybody. Bye-bye. Thank, Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.